0: Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're looking up, up, up. Is Hollard all grown up now following its surprising acquisition of Combank's general insurance operation? Are Aon Willis-Towers-Watson breaking up before they could get together? Now the US Department of Justice is trying to block the merger. And are dodgy home renovations on the up, with shortages of materials hindering the claims process? Hello, everyone. On the panel today, are publisher, Terry McMullen, Managing Editor, John Deeks, and Deputy Editor, Wendy Pugh. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Feels like it's ages since we last caught up. I'm sure our listeners would like to hear how you are. (laughs)
1: Okay, this morning I'm hungover. How's that?
0: (laughs) How very insurancey. Hello, John. What's up with you?
2: Uh, Not too much. I'm still trying to clear the garden of all the trees that came down in the storms a week or so ago. Oh, are you going to have any issues with claims? No, there were plenty of trees fell down, but they didn't fall on anything, thankfully. Oh, that's good. And good morning to Wendy.
0: Wendy, like some strange episode of Sesame Street, I've managed to say up 10 times already this episode before our round up. Are we on the up? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, that's that's probably the most difficult question I'll ask you today. And so, without further ado, onto the key stories from this week's bulletin. Hollard is set to acquire Common Bank's general insurance operations in a deal very few people seem to have predicted. Wendy, can you start by talking us through the details?
3: Well, it is a very significant deal because it it expands uh, Hollard's GWP by about 50%. So, uh, this financial year, Hollard will have about 1.6 billion in GWP, um, and Cominsure adds about another 800 million. And the deal also involves a 15-year distribution agreement to uh, sell products to CBA retail customers. So, you know, it really um, bulks up uh, Hollard's uh, position in the market. Uh, And this involves an upfront payment of uh, $625 uh, plus some additional later amounts. uh, And the deal is expected to be completed in the middle of next year. Terry, I'll get your thoughts in a second, but John,
0: with this acquisition, we can't really call Holland a challenger brand anymore, can we?
2: We have probably haven't been able to do that for for a number of years. I spoke to Richard Enhoven for a magazine article about four years ago, when they were writing about six hundred and sixty million dollars in premium, and he said then that while they still thought like a challenger brand, they had to be considered an established player. Well, uh, I think they're they're definitely an established player now. They're they're one of the the top few players in australia
0: terry a few weeks ago we announced richard's change of role i mean how do you interpret this news and how much does it alter the uh, industry landscape
1: well it certainly alters the industry landscape it makes hollard much larger than Zurich in the local market it places it in size i think at number five after iag suncorp qbe and allianz so that's Pretty impressive. Common sure has about 6% of the overall market share, so most, if not all of that, is in the personal line space. So that is good. It's also another sign of the, the fact that the banks are getting out of insurance, which isn't all that surprising after the Hain Royal Commission, and the huge claims coming from the natural disasters of the past few years. Banks like certainty and they hate volatility. So the whole concept of risk insurance just doesn't fit well with the way they want the world to be. That's why bank managers usually make lousy insurers. Uh, CBA sold its life insurance operation last year to AIA for $2.4 billion. And Allianz bought Westpac's general insurance arm for around $725 million. So, So there is quite a bit of, of change happening in the market. Uh, earlier this year, there was a lot of talk about IAG and Suncorp wanting to buy the CBA business, but there were competition issues, obviously, uh, particularly for IAG. So Hollard winning the race is likely to be more helpful in terms of competition at the top end of the market. But it it also does really establish uh, Hollard as a major, major player.
0: So are there any other banks left in the um, general insurance market?
1: Uh, There'll be a few wandering around, but the banks really are much more keen to get into white labelling. I think, you know, just taking somebody else's products and and putting their own brand on it, um, but not doing any of the underwriting underwriting really is quite foreign to to the whole concept of banking and they tend not to like the volatility on their balance sheet so that's a way of getting around it
0: is that their approach more being more akin to sort of the, the Coles and the um woolworths retail sort of focus exactly
1: yes just 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 let the experts do the job and you still get the benefit of the customers coming through the door. Now,
0: Wendy, our analysis this week focused on the US Department of Justice's efforts to block the Aon Willis Towers Watson merger. What are they so upset about? And will these companies be able to work their way through this?
3: They say it would bring together two of the uh, big three in global insurance broking and, and, in their view, the merger threatens to eliminate competition, raise prices and reduce innovation. So, Aon and Willis-Towers Watson have already proposed to sell assets, which they had to do because they were also running into problems with the European regulator. But the ju- Department of Justice says those proposed sales uh, wouldn't come close to fixing the issues that it's raising for the US market. So the companies say that the Department of Justice has it all wrong um, and they are still committed to the deal. But the most likely thing is that they'll have to look to sell some more assets and then it's a matter of balancing what they can sell without undermining the whole reason for doing the deal. And alternatively, if they were to contest the lawsuit through a judgment, that would be a very lengthy process. And the other option is, of course, that they could just decide that they want to walk away, but uh, it doesn't sound like they would be planning to do that.
0: They really are being sort of hindered at at every quarter Terry, what's the benefit to them for this merger?
1: Oh, the obvious benefit for Aon is taking out a, a competitor and also gaining quite a bit of the specialisation that that uh, Willis Towers Watson had or has. What you inevitably see happen from from one of these things is that you, you end up with a lot of specialists falling out. The, the top end of the broker market was never crowded before Aon and Marsh swooped on them, so certainly Aon would have been well prepared for objections from competition regulators, so you shouldn't expect them to say anything else other than what they are saying. Uh, We will have to wait and see how this pans out because the the US and European regulators are obviously very unhappy with this, and it just depends on how they make a stand. I agree with Wendy. They're, They're probably going to have to sell off more. Gallagher's already benefited from Aon selling Willis Re, which I'm sure Aon didn't want to do, so maybe we'll see some more business units being hived off. I, I think it has the potential to encourage smaller global brokers, particularly those with strong specialisations, to be more competitive with the big two. So, and in all of this, really, the Australian regulators' anxiety is, is really just a sideshow. The, the, the real things are happening. Uh, in the, the very big markets.
0: It seems to be the focus of the Department of Justice issues around, you know, the effect on clients, whereas Aon Willis-Towers-Waltzers believe it will benefit the clients. I mean, how do you see this
1: for the end users? Well, for the end users, it's it's just less choice, um, which is where they want to be anyway, where, where the companies want to be. It, it is purely a matter of removing competition. The same... Specialised services that that uh, the JLT, as an example, uh, and um, and Willis Towers Watson brought to the market will still be there, but they but they are trying to contain them within uh, a, another organisation. So yeah, I I think that it brings more more knowledge to the company, but it also does bring less competition to the market, at least in the short term.
0: Well, as claims begin to stack up following the storms that swept Victoria this month, our journalists are hearing that shortages of materials, such as timber, could slow down the claims process. What's the latest on this, Wendy?
3: Well, we still don't know the uh, full extent of the uh, damage from the storms and claim numbers are still rising, uh, but it looks like it's going to be a slow recovery process. Um, If you look at some areas like in the Dandenongs have been affected by large numbers of falling trees, which is blocking road access. And... Uh, creating a lot of uh, damage to the to the homes up there Um, and there's a there's a shortage of building materials Australia-wide really at the moment uh, due to that delays getting goods through ports and that's uh, particularly includes timber and gyproc chipboard cables and all sorts of um, basic building needs.
0: Terry I guess it's not unusual for materials and tradies to be in short supply after a major catastrophe and COVID could be making things worse but Is there anything insurers can do about it?
1: Not a lot, no. Yeah, you're right. We always see tradies' charges go up after a major catastrophe and you also see steep rises in the cost of building materials. So maybe the industry should start investing in storing a whole bunch of building materials around places where there are regular disasters. The loss of plantation timber to bushfires is a worry and, but then maybe we should stop wood chipping our forests for exports and start thinking about proper uses for construction. (laughs) Sorry, Andrew, my greeny side just poked through.
0: I was so tempted to ask you a question about whether you think Barnaby Joyce is going to be able to solve this.
1: (laughs) No, I I do think that that these are the kind of problems you get after major catastrophes, but also um, I guess the the insurers uh, are also competing with the, the major construction industries as well, which are, um, you know, furiously building houses. So we're in a, a housing boom, have been for ages, and this is what happens.
0: Financial advisors are getting hot under the collar after a Labour senator labelled them shonky.
2: Tell us what this row is all about, John. So Yes, uh, Senator Jenny McAllister, while debating superannuation reforms, said that the only people likely to benefit from them were financial advisors giving shonky advice. And this has enraged the AFA. They don't deny that the Royal Commission flagged up some issues, but they say it's not fair to tar everyone with the same brush, and the vast majority of advisors always work in the best interests of their clients. Such vilification borders on abuse, the AFA says, and has to stop unless we want to see financial advisors continuing to leave the profession in droves.
0: Terry, is the AFA overacting?
1: Or are they right to pull up politicians when they make such generalisations? The, the general insurance industry, for example, is, is, has always tended to sit back and say nothing or very much when it's slagged off by commentators or politicians and usually after a catastrophe when you don't want that sort of commentary hanging around. If you don't come back with a strong response, you're, you're risking the allegations becoming fact in the public's mind. So putting the advisor's case is exactly what the AFA should be doing. Uh, If you want to get your side of the story to get a run in the media, you have to put a bit of gunpowder in what you say. So, yeah, good on them.
0: You might say that they're uh, doing exactly what politicians do and looking for that soundbite. Exactly. Well, we've published our second in our three-part series of podcasts on the Vero SME Insurance Index John, what does this episode focus
2: on? Yeah, so as you say, Andrew, we've done a three-part series focusing uh, on the findings of the SME index, which is 10 years old this year. Uh, And this particular episode is all about the hard market and what clients expect from brokers when prices are rising as they are right now. Many brokers tell us this is the hardest market they've ever seen. And so some clients are bound to be finding it tough. But Vero says, keep talking to your clients, explain to them why premiums are rising
1: and give them plenty of time to prepare for renewals. Terry, why do you think brokers should give this one a listen? Brad Dalton joined us for what turned into a pretty lively discussion on how things are now and what brokers can do to keep their clients properly protected. I think it should be very interesting listening for for brokers who are working at the coalface.
0: Well, finally, the latest insurance news magazine edition will soon be hitting mailboxes
1: and inboxes. What can readers expect from this edition, Terry? Well, I've been surprised over the past year, 18 months. Uh, I've received a lot of comments from people about how valuable the magazine has actually been to them and giving them a lot of background on some really quite complex issues and developments in the industry. And the industry is changing very quickly. There's a fantastic article from Wendy on the federal government's decision to rely on a reinsurance pool and a mitigation program, yay, to push down premium pressures. Uh, But will it succeed? And Wendy's really dug pretty deep to... um, bring together a, a large variety of views on this initiative. I interviewed Paul Lynam and Adrian Kitchen, who are building a new national broker network for the UK broker Ardonna, which I found very interesting because we are seeing more of this happening with large foreign organisations coming in to grab a slice of the breaking action. We've looked at things like the re-emergence of an insurance option that, we don't talk about very often, but is always there, which is mutual insurers, because when the markets turned like this it, it's it's the time to really examine and understand how mutuals fit in. We've interviewed Sharon Owee, the, the uh, Swiss Re's New Australia and New Zealand chief. She's an extremely interesting person and got some some really strong views on what's going on. And then there are things, everything from mega ships and why they're such a, a disaster for insurers, right down to CHU's former chief executive, Bobby Lehane, and how he found tranquility. So uh, it's really a, an addition, real, well worth reading. I'm pretty proud. Excellent. Well,
0: that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, Terry McMullen, and John Deeks. Enjoy your week, and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favourite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.